it's funny because to me, it's been 15 years that I'm really interested in any sort of visual art practice that deals with, uh, you know, digital or analog uh, relating to like computers uh, or moving image. And uh, what really NFTs and Web3 have brought is like a way to um, make these sort of practices more sustainable. Uh, I mean, in like 2010, 2011, you had like so many incredible artists using Tumblr and other blogs posting incredible works. And eventually I remember following a ton of these artists at the time. And eventually a lot of these practices kind of went under the radar because, uh, you know, it wasn't like financially sustainable. And so last year, when I really dived deep into NFTs, I saw a lot of these artists coming back and uh, the parallel with painting is interesting because when you look at painting or when you look at photography, you, you're talking about like really medium specific practices, but even though within those medium specific practices, you see all these different use case, you see like all these different artists who are using the medium in a very specific way, in like a very unique way. And in a certain way, I look at computer graphics a little bit through that same lens. I look at, you know, like analog video, uh, sense, computers as these sort of mediums. And then you have like this gigantic array of practices uh, using these different techniques or mediums and tools. And what's great about the time we're living now is like all of a sudden these practices finally have a platform that makes uh, you know, that makes this art a little bit more sustainable because uh, after spending like 12 years in the art market, I can tell you that it's it's very, very hard for an artist whose practice is focused on this sort of uh, moving image works to, to survive financially. It's very, very difficult. Welcome to UFO, a podcast where artists, musicians and Web3 builders talk about the future place for revolutionary ideas. I'm your host, Nick Hollins. On today's show, Nicholas Sassoon and Sam Mason DeCaries. Nicholas is a Franco-Canadian artist using early computer graphics to create a wide array of pixelated forms, patterns, and architectural structures. His works have sold on super rare, foundation, and object, having been collected by some of the most notable NFT collectors in the space. Sam is an engineer who's into generative art, presently at Syndicate DAO and previously at Foundation, an NFT platform for artists, and at Rainbow, which is a crypto wallet. Together, they are two-fourths of Gossamer, along with their friends Tim Smith and Fields. They are a collective who are collecting art together as a DAO. You can view their collection at gossamerdao.xyz, and to make it easy to find, it's also in the show notes at ufo.mira.xyz. In this episode, we talk about art and the Web3 space, how technology is enabling new ways to create, collect, and support artistic expression, what kinds of art Sam and Nicholas are interested in collecting via Gossamer, about Nicholas' artistic practice and how he makes his works, and we zoom out on the industry, for a market cooldown for NFTs from the highs of 2021, Recent news as NFT marketplaces decide to switch off creator royalties to 0% in a race to capture volume from NFT traders, it appears to the detriment of artists and creators, 
and we asked Sam and Nicholas about the advice they give to artists and creative people who are interested to get involved in the Web3 and NFT space. Let's take a moment to thank our sponsors helping to put UFO on the air. Starting with Zarian. UFO is a podcast that brings together the brightest builders, creators, and founders shaping the cultural side of Web3. And Zarian is the perfect wallet for these active citizens. Zarian combines every corner of Web3 in a simple and intuitive app for self-custodial humans. Discover the hottest NFT collections, track your DeFi rewards, and vote in DAOs across 10 plus chains. Come along and check out their app on mobile. You can get started at zerion.io. That's Z-E-R-I-O-N dot I-O. Lens Protocol is the open source tech stack for building decentralized social media applications. It's a new era for social media in Web3. And Lens isn't a social media app. It's a protocol to let Web3 social apps thrive, a permissionless and transparent social graph that is owned by the user. With Lens, your followers go with you to whatever application that you want to use, instead of being trapped inside the walled garden by an algorithm. Lens lets you choose the way that you want to experience your social media. UFO listeners can claim a handle to get started with Lens. And right now, the best way to pick up an invite is interacting with UFO on Twitter. Follow us, retweet, and post replies. UFO is available on all Lens apps at ufoclub.lens. To discover links for artists, pieces, and projects we talk about in this episode, check out the post on ufo.mirror.xyz. Let's jump in first with Sam Mason DeCarries about how he first got started in this realm of crypto and NFTs and how he and Nicholas Sassoon met and ended up collaborating together. So I was working at Foundation at the time, um, the, the NFT kind of auction house uh, marketplace. And um, I learned through just working in the space. Nicholas was one of the, I think, kind of one of the earliest artists to kind of join the platform. And he is very close to uh, the founders, uh, Kayvon, um, uh, Matt and uh, Kayvon, Matt and El Pizzo. Um and I'd known of Nicholas's stuff and I kind of fell in love with it and then over time um, we, I found myself kind of bidding on pieces that he was also bidding on or owned pieces from the same artist like either earlier on in their career um, and so I then got kind of became friends with who is another member of Gossamer Tim Smith um and Tim also knew Nicholas um and had been kind of talking with Nicholas for a long time and we basically found out that we were all bidding on the same works essentially um or occasions where me and Nicholas or Tim and Nicholas would be bidding and so in the end I think it was him who just messaged me and was like look we're all bidding on basically the same artist we've obviously got a very similar mindset of taste and the artists that we want to collect in the space why don't we just kind of come together and form this entity or this kind of like mini DAO um, to kind of group by essentially and then own it as a collective um, so yeah I think that's kind of like how and then Tim introduced me to Nicholas more formally and we kind of like got went from there 
Yeah, I mean, I think that sounds about right. Uh, I think our collecting habits brought us together and also, you know, like similar sense of taste, as Sam was saying, we would like bid on the same works and eventually this sparked this sort of regular conversations, which led to to the creation of, of Gossamer. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, it, it's interesting how this sort of, I think a lot of people started collecting art last year through NFTs, um, myself included. I've been wanting to collect works for a very long time, but last year is really when I, I started like getting serious into serious into collect collecting art. And um, and I think a lot of people were in a similar situation. And so um, I ended up, you know, talking about that with with Sam, with Tim and Gusamer was born, I think, out of uh, also like all these all these conversations about um, you know about all the potential that there is in like collecting NFTs and the sort of like community and interaction it creates with the artists that you collect. Uh, and you know, there's like all these daily conversations or weekly conversations that feed into uh, whatever entity Gusamer is. So, so yeah. I I feel like this is like, um, as you're kind of hinting at, like this is a kind of new uh, phenomenon in a way, or maybe, you know, this is how the older art world would function. Uh, but now we can be based all around the world and, and be hanging out in, in just the same way. Um, I guess I, I would like to ask if uh, other particular styles or artists or you you say that you found yourselves like bidding on uh similar works and stuff like that like what what were the kinds of things that you were both resonating with that kind of i suppose uh helped you become become friends and actually forming a, a collective together i mean i think a lot of the works that i've collected last year and i still collect this year to me they they are really like a reflection of, of my own practice and and a, a fairly broad range of interest. There's definitely a, a focus on works that use pixelated aesthetics or that are inspired by early computer graphics, which is like a fairly broad uh, period, uh, if we consider the, the short history of computer graphics. Uh, and yeah, like very quickly, I realized that uh, within Web3, there were a lot of people that sort of shared these common interests, uh, uh, interest for you know computer technology, but also an interest for all the visual culture around computer technology. Uh, people from my generations or people from like generations not too far from me. Uh, so that's definitely been a strong focus for me in terms of like the type of art I collect. And Eventually, you know, talking to people like Sam or talking to people like Tim has also like brought in my range of interest in terms of like the work I want to collect. How about you, Sam? Yeah, I'd, I'd echo the same kind of sentiment, really, like um, being a, I guess, kind of like a software engineer. I've always been pretty fascinated with early computer graphics and like how they're generated and everything that goes into it, as I'm sure many people have. And it, it's always felt like the the kind of medium I don't know if that's really like the correct term but like the kind of style that's always spoken to me most um and similar to Nicholas like I didn't really collect I guess traditional art or art before 
um, you know, before NFTs were a thing, maybe the occasional piece, but it, it always felt a lot, um, always felt quite out of range for me, I guess is like one way to put it. Like it felt like there was a barrier to entry that I just didn't even know how to kind of like get past. Um, and so obviously spending a lot of time at foundation and in the kind of NFT ecosystem, seeing the kind of works that were being created in those kind of, you know, formative early 2021, late 2020s um, of the kind of like last NFT boom cycle. Um, yeah, it really kind of those pieces were the ones that spoke to me most um, and the ones that I felt kind of like related to. Yeah, there is an interesting like dynamic here with everything that's going on. Like Nicholas, he touched on it briefly saying like, you know, people of your generation and like around around that kind of age roughly. And the fact that we've all grown up with computer technology and the full evolution through to where we are now and like chat, the new like chat AI thing that just appeared is just another freak instance of like the technology that we've all had to deal with as it's come through. Um, but I I mean like from from the perspective of, of both of you as sort of art people, collectors and artists and and stuff like that, like what would you observe about the way that there is a certain fascination with um, obviously in Nicholas in your own art as well, the kind of 80s, 90s computer graphic pixel, pixel kind of forms and kind of hearkening back to like this more uh, almost, almost like analog technology or earlier primitive, primitive forms now brought into this much, much more advanced uh, kind of technological ecosystem that we find ourselves in. Um, it's interesting, like if, I, if I'm thinking of, of painters and stuff in the early 20th century and what were they inspired by and what worlds were they emerging from uh, in comparison to where we are, where we are now, like a century later. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's funny because to me, it's been 15 years that I'm really interested in any sort of visual art practice that deals with, uh, you know, digital or analog, uh, relating to like computers, uh, or moving image and, uh, what really NFTs and web three have brought is like a way to, um, makes these sort of practices more sustainable. Uh, I mean, in like 2010, 2011, you had like so many incredible artists using Tumblr and other blogs posting incredible works. And eventually I remember following a ton of these artists at the time. And eventually a lot of these practices kind of went under the radar because, uh, you know, it wasn't like financially sustainable. And so last year, when I really dive deep into NFTs, I saw a lot of these artists coming back. And uh, the parallel with painting is interesting because when you look at painting or when you look at photography, you, you're talking about like really medium specific practices, but even though within those medium specific practices, you see all these different use case, you see like all these different artists who are using the medium in a very specific way, in like a very unique way. and in a certain way, I look at computer graphics a little bit through that same lens. I look at, you know, like analog video, uh, sense computers as these sort of mediums. And then you have like this gigantic array of practices uh, using these different techniques or mediums and tools. And what's great about the time we're living now is like all of a sudden these practices finally have 
a platform that makes uh, you know that makes this art a little bit more sustainable because uh, after spending like 12 years in the art market I can tell you that it's it's very very hard for an artist whose practice is focused on this sort of uh, moving image works to to survive financially it's very very difficult Sam like do do you have thoughts in this in this realm as well or comments that you would make um I mean unlike Nicholas like I you know i haven't i haven't been i'm not an artist i wouldn't say like i have spent that much time in the space in terms of like creating art over the years but i think for me like what spoke to me about like i guess this particular type of art and like maybe why it resonates with our generation more so is like i grew up in the early days of this medium right so like i remember the first time like a computer arrived home and i'd sit on it and play these like point and click pixelated games and i grew up in not in a city i grew up in the middle of the countryside here in the uk so it wasn't like i had access to art galleries or museums or even a, there was a you know a long time before the internet um and also like you know my parents um, or my family in general weren't particularly like creative types. They weren't particularly interested in like the arts uh, in that way. Um, and so I didn't have much of a, I didn't have much access to any of that um, growing up. And so these games that I ended up being able to kind of like, you know, go and rent from Blockbuster over the weekend and like install, like spend four hours installing it on a Friday night. Those became like my, interface and my kind of tunnel into like this form of art right like computer game art or like computer generated art in general um and so to me like i guess there is that feeling of like this is like the medium like the native medium that was like born when i was a child so there's that i guess sense of nostalgia that i kind of i'm always kind of like looking for and me and nicholas have spoken about it a lot of times like um on like text and stuff about like you know, I feel like a lot of his works, even, you know, to me, they have like a sense of like nostalgia, like some of his early, some of his um, works around kind of like buildings and these kind of like geometric shapes. But to me, they feel quite like homely and comforting. And I kind of, I enjoy that about it because it kind of like reminds me of that, you know, that early youth of like discovering games for the first time or discovering computer graphics for the first time. So that to me is why I think I kind of collect these pieces of works um, over, yeah, I guess other different mediums or formats. Well, we're definitely sitting here um, with one of the right people to, to, to get into that style of, of art practice and stuff. Like Nicholas, I've listened to some other conversations that you've had um in in other places and stuff like that and i was interested in you know that you'd noted that you're not like a big coder that's not uh necessarily how you kind of produce your stuff i would love to ask about if you could describe a little of like what is your what does your art practice look like what is the process like how do you you know like if you look at your works across foundation and and other places there's there's a through line between the pieces but they're each quite distinct and of their own inspiration i would love to get a sense of, you know, what, what does that process and practice look like for you? Right. Well, yeah, I'm definitely like the worst coder on the planet. I've tried many, many times to learn code and I could see all my friends like making progress while I was just like 
it wasn't it wasn't working out for me. I think my brain is not wired properly for for coding. But um, I think my my current practice really came out of um, a sense of like really wanting to limit my tools, limit my toolkits in my in my art practice. Uh, because when I when I went to art school, um, I learned a lot of different I learned different uh, software, uh, you know, video editing software, image editing software, interactivity, uh, a lot of different things like 3D animation, and it just felt kind of overwhelming. It felt like there were like so many options when you arrived at a computer, like in terms of what you could do, uh, and. It felt also like very dependent because when I was in art school, my practice was kind of dependent on like working with technicians. I was working on interactive installations or like video production where you kind of need a, a team of people working with you. And after finishing art school, I sort of asked myself what I really wanted out of my art practice. And one thing that came out was I want to have a, a very limited set of tools that I'm using that I can use on the go, that I can use on a laptop anywhere I am. I don't want to be dependent on like a specific software that might disappear tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen. So I kind of started doing some research around the origins of um, early computer graphics and specifically image editing softwares because a lot of the pixelated graphics that I use, um, I mean, some of their first instances happened with like the first versions of Photoshop, for example. And so I, I looked into a little deeper in that history and I realized that um, a lot of these graphics, a lot of this visual language is like very easily replicable through any sort of like image editing tool that we use today. Uh, it's just that we don't use these tools that way. We just kind of like, when you, know, when, when you use Photoshop, you use Photoshop for like photo retouching or like making like gradients with like five millions of colors or I don't know, it's like, you, you don't really use the tools to try and like have a very limited color palette or a very limited or minimal uh, amount of visual information, you kind of, goes the opposite way and I, I started like I started unlearning these tools I started unlearning how to make images in a very very simple way so the 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 process the process is actually like very simple and very similar to like analog animation making a lot of it has to do with uh, you know like working frame by frame um, a lot of it has to do with drawing uh, pixel by pixel on Photoshop a lot of it has to do with overlapping images on top of each other to create more patterns, which has a sort of optical effect when two images overlap. So again, it's a, it's a lot of it's a lot of metaphors that relate to the analog world, you know, like drawing, um, um, like drawing lines or like drawing pixels or like overlapping two images, uh, working with very limited color palette. But I use all these sort of analogies in a in a digital workspace and. Right now, when I do my work, I use Photoshop, but I could use another software if need be. Uh, and and that was kind of a, a, that was really important for me when I started uh, formulating my practice because I didn't wanna, I, I just felt like with, with computer technology, when you start working in a, a specific realm like 3D modeling or like video editing, uh, you sort of specialize 
into specific tools. And if something happened to that software, you're basically in big trouble because what do you do? Like, can you, can you, you know, do your skills, can your skills transfer to like another software or maybe not, maybe you're going to have to relearn a lot of things. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to be in that situation. I wanted to have like this very, very limited toolkit and be like, okay, with that, I can work on like somebody else's computer if I need, you know, it's like, um, so yeah, I don't know if that explains really clearly my process, but it, it's hard to explain my process because people think there's like, there's like this very like secret techniques or like this very like this like magic tools that I use. And then when I show people how I make my work, they're like, okay. And they're kind of disappointed because they realize it's actually, well, there's these pixels here and I actually drew them. And then uh, it's very time consuming. It's very tedious. It's very like almost meditative. And yeah, that's kind of what I love about it. Yeah, that's fantastic. That, that feels a little like when like in, in the past, um, coming from the music world as I do, and I'll, I'll be meeting artists or friends who've just made a, a record or whatever. And like, when I get to know their practice, it's like, oh, they're using Fruity Loops or something like incredible. They made that whole record in GarageBand. It's like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> How is that possible? Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that like limit limitation, like limitations are so, is so, so important for for creativity um and and stuff like that if you have everything where do you start i think like yeah i I really vibe with that um i'd love to kind of like switch gears a little uh and maybe starting with you sam about like exploring how did you both get into the space into discovering the kind of i I suppose joining the web3 community or getting engaged with nfts and stuff like that like what was what were your uh, yeah, what were your journeys in? How'd you get started? And I suppose, how did you trip into each other along the way? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I first, so I've been, uh, you know, a software engineer in some way, shape or form since I kind of got into the, into the job market, if you will. Um, and even prior to that, like as a kid, um, I, you know, as I mentioned, like, I was brought up around computers, even though they were the very kind of early versions of computers, I guess. Um, they didn't have, you know, uh, all the bells and whistles that we used to now. Um, and so I've always kind of been fascinated by them. And then I found out about the first thing I heard about, like this concept of like programmable digital money um, was actually back in about 2014, 2015, um, with a blockchain currency called Stellar, which um, is still going now. Um, and I really like the concept of it. It was this kind of, you know, they released an SDK. They kind of said if you, you know, participated in the ecosystem, you could they'd give you these tokens as they were kind of or coins as they were known at the time. Um, and they were worth absolutely nothing. Like they were, you know, they were worth nothing. They're just digital kind of files uh, or bits. Um, but I found it really interesting as like an experimental hobby. Um, it, it felt like it had this kind of like interesting use cases anyway. Um, I kind of followed along, but nothing really kind of like flared up. Um, I guess then Bitcoin kind of arrived on the scene shortly afterwards or shortly before, but started gaining more momentum. Um, and while I liked the idea of Bitcoin, um, again, it didn't really solve that itch for me this kind of programmable money it was like it's digital gold i get it it's like it's cool but i like the tech behind it but i wanted to be able to interface with it and interact with it whatever it might be 
Um, and then I heard about Ethereum a few years later um, and started kind of following along with the development and the progression of that. And that really kind of got me more involved because it was kind of solving all of these problems uh, or kind of scratching all these itches around like programmable money, decentralization, being able to like write these things as smart contracts that kind of like executed code on this blockchain. Um, and yeah, and then I kind of just watched it and kind of followed along with it. Um, and then I kind of got involved in like DeFi around the DeFi summer period. Like, I guess that was what, 2019, 2020. Um, but I'm not, I don't come from a finance background. So a lot of the concepts, while interesting, didn't really kind of like grab my attention all that much. Um, but towards the end of DeFi summer, I started hearing about this concept of like uh, NFTs or art tokens and these like kind of collectibles that were appearing. Um, and that was what got me hooked because I've always worked or tried to at least work very closely with artists or creatives in whatever role or job I've had um and so to me that was like the perfect blending of like technology this kind of nascent technology and nascent kind of format that was arriving in and then also like what it was opening up to artists and how they were kind of utilizing it and using it um and so I started of looking for projects that are in the space and i came across zora and um foundation pretty much in the same time um they were both doing similar things in the sense that they were they were doing these kind of physical redeemable kind of items from artists where you would kind of buy an erc20 token and redeem the physical object um i reached out to kayvon um at foundation and he to say like, look, do you have an open API? Because I'm looking for like a side project and I'd love to get involved. He kind of got back to me straight away. and was just like, yeah, we've actually been looking for someone to build like a Bloomberg-esque terminal for like our marketplace, not AMM. Um, and we've got all this, like all these kind of APIs. So I started jumping into that. I built terminal uh, as like a, a open source community tool for their marketplace at the time. And then I followed along and as it kind of progressed, I got more and more kind of sucked in down the rabbit hole as everyone kind of seems to. Um, and then eventually me and Kayvon were chatting and he was just like, look, you spend so much time in the space. Uh, you know, we're looking for engineers. Do you want to come and join? So I joined them early 20, early 2021, maybe. Yeah, I guess so. Um, and so, yeah been like in the space since then really and yeah kind of came across nicholas's work uh three foundation uh, as i mentioned before it's kind of one of the early artists so yeah that's kind of my story and nicholas would you uh, i don't know if we've sort of fleshed this out or already but it'd be nice to kind of yeah make, make the same sort of specific inquiry with you about how did you first start you know bridging across into crypto world uh and and uh, NFT space, how much of an early mover uh, were you in, in a sense and uh, as potentially what other sort of artists and stuff were, were around you at that time uh, on, on the way in? What, who would you say, who were some of your kind of, you know, people in, in proximity at the time? Right. Um, I think I got contacted by Foundation and Super Rare in the fall of 2020 and at first, I was really uh, suspicious. I was like, this, is, this has to be a scam. What is this? Uh, I had like absolutely no 
knowledge of um, crypto or NFT at the time. So it felt like a lot at first. And I looked at it and I, I like, I don't think Foundation had a platform yet, but Lindsay Howard had contacted me because I had worked with her uh, over the years for at least like a decade before that. And so she was working at Foundation and she was looking for artists to onboard. And uh, so I, I, I tried to pay attention, but I couldn't really see the platform. And then SuperAir contacted me and SuperAir was already uh, active at the time. So I checked out their platform and the concepts uh, for me, like just looked like way too good to be true. Uh, I was, I was kind of jaded at the time because I had been invited on like dozens of like digital marketplaces trying to monetize digital art and it always ended up very poorly so i was you know i was suspicious for for good reasons and um my partner is actually the one who really like pushed me to like pay more attention to it carrie doran because uh, she's a former gallery director in digital art and she had worked with a couple startups uh focusing on crypto and nft and she told me, no, you need to you need to pay more attention to this. You need to like learn more about it, and and then you can make a decision of whether or not you want to get involved. So, it took me a few months to kind of like educate myself a little bit on what the hell crypto is and NFTs are, and um, you know, still have a lot of work to do in that regard. But uh, after three months, um, I kept looking at Super Rare, kept looking at Foundation, and I. I noticed some artists that I actually knew from before onboarding and selling their work. And that was kind of a tipping point for me where I was like, okay, well, if they're doing it, I, I should just do it. And I think the first NFT I minted was on foundation in February, 2021. Um, and yeah, and it was crazy because there was a bidding, bidding war right away. And then it has been like a crazy, I mean, 2021 went by in a flash and I was focusing on NFT like 200%. I didn't do anything else. Um, met Sam in early 2021 along the way. Um, and yeah, and this year is actually like the year where I started kind of like looking back at everything that has happened last year because it's been so incredibly intense. How does the fact that, you know, these works are being like minted or distributed as NFTs and the different ways that you can either, you know, mint as a, a one of one or a collection or like these different things, effectively different price points that you can also set things at or different ways that uh, your audience and, and collectors or collector community can engage with your work, like from your own experience, how have those dynamics being so different to the sort of previous art world and how you previously may have been trying to kind of get, get your work out there? How have these new mediums potentially even shaped a little your creative practice, perhaps no difference, but maybe mm -hmm. it's, you know, in, in a way, the way that it's being released can, can influence the work itself potentially. Right. Well, I should definitely say that like, I think the 10 years of experience that I've had previously with the art world were really, really beneficial when I entered the NFT space because I, I kind of, I kind of had some experience in like trying to, trying to sell my work, trying to monetize it. But uh, personally, I've been making digital art for uh, 15 years. I've been posting it on blogs and and different websites. So when NFTs arrived, it was the perfect kind of 
continuation of my work. I didn't have to fundamentally change my practice or, or change my work. Uh, and then uh, I think one of the things that, you know, made me a little bit hesitant at first was this very question, like, how do you monetize your work? How, like, what kind of strategies do you apply in terms of like, how frequently do you post works? Um, how do you price them? Um, you know, like when you when you sell an NFT on Ethereum, it's a one of one. When you sell an NFT on on Tezos, it can be an addition. How do you how do you work with both of these markets? Um, and I sort of just looked at other artists and asked a lot of questions to uh, the people around me instead of uh, pretending to know all the answers. I just kind of yeah, I just kind of kept an open mind and asked people and um, learn on the go. And I think it's still very much, um, I don't think there's like one right way or, or wrong way of doing it. I think it depends on the artist. It depends on your audience. It depends on who your collectors are. And it depends on soul, like where you want to go. Um, so, and we're still, you know, we're still very much figuring out all these like different strategies right now, uh, depending, you know, on like the market trends as well. But um, it's it's very empowering for artists. It's very empowering because in the traditional art markets, you you have a gallery, you have an art dealer, and this art dealer deals with all that. So you don't have to do it. And I think it makes a lot of sense for a lot of artists because as an artist, you don't necessarily want to have to deal with that part. You don't want to have to be like, you know, talking to collectors and um, negotiating your prices, negotiating your contracts, negotiating your artist fees for every single opportunity that comes your way. Um, but for some artists, it makes sense to want to deal with that. And it is very empowering because all of a sudden you don't have this middle person and you can really kind of determine the trajectory of your career, determine your price points. You can meet your collectors, you know, you can go hang out with them if you want to, whereas like in the art world, you you very rarely talk to your collectors. Uh, so yeah, I think it's very empowering and it's also, it impacts your workflow obviously because it adds another layer of work on top of everything else that you need to do. But um, personally, I really I really appreciate it because I think I always had this sort of approach to my practice of doing a lot of different things and trying to be as you know independent as possible so it's been uh yeah it's been a, an incredible blessing to to get into that space something i'd like to ask both of you um is i mean even even from my 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 position or existence um in the in the space uh i'll, I'll get questions from from friends and people artists who are interested to get into the whole nft thing and like how do you get started how do you make sense of this how and you know like the obvious thing of like, yes, NFTs aren't just an, you're not instantly going to mint a million dollars worth of NFTs. It's not, it's not like a one-to-one -one like that necessarily. Um, but, but given both of your kind of experience, uh, what, what is the, what is the kind of advice that, that you share, uh, with, with artists who are looking to get into this space? I guess what, what are the best ways for them to kind of learn and, and get up to speed, communities they might join like how, how do they start to ingratiate themselves and think about starting to release their work uh in these ways i guess my my perspective is going to be from an obviously quite a different lens uh than than nicholas because he is an artist an established artist and i'm sure he knows lots of artists who 
he's spoken with and I'm sure a lot of them have come to him but um while I was at foundation and I kind of put my I guess face out there that I was like a you know a representative of it in social media and such um last year I was um yeah pretty like inundated with lots of kind of messages dms from from people getting into the space um I think yeah I think like the reality now is like you you can't really get into the space thinking you're just gonna yeah put something out there and then something is gonna sell for you know a million dollars or even like multiple thousand dollars initially at the moment like it just doesn't work like that um I think having uh having a practice like in the outside of web3 is probably like the most core part of um probably one of the most core parts like you can't imagine to just be getting started in space and jump straight into web3 and creating art for the first time and then expect it to just go like you know bananas like one of the biggest questions or the most constant questions I was asked is like how do I get collectors to see my work because yeah unless you have that network unless you have that audience um of pre-existing fans or you know unless you kind of like embedded yourself in those social circles it, it is going to be really difficult for people to see your work it is going to get lost in the kind of deluge of uh, everyone else's work um and yeah sometimes you know you might get super lucky and someone or like stump someone like notorious will stumble across your work and kind of uh pluck you out of it uh you know pluck you out of kind of obscurity and like make you something big but in I think for the vast majority of cases, like it's work, right? It's effort. So it's like, you know, building up a practice is probably going to be a lot of times where you're creating work. Maybe one, I guess one of the big questions I've always had, and maybe actually Nicholas is probably the best person to answer this is like, is it one of the things I always kind of had was like, should I create or should they create works that are not for sale, but are kind of an insight into their process, like, you know, a work in progress, if you will, like, you know, and you post it on wherever your website, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, wherever it might be. Um, and it's always kind of like, and then once you get to a certain level and maybe you've built enough of a uh, an audience, you can start to then mint pieces of work that are either new or maybe pre-existing. Um, and I guess like that, I don't have the answer for, and I'm not sure if it's even like kind of socially acceptable in the artist world to kind of like post work in progresses or post kind of like works of art that you aren't planning on selling or have no intention of selling um so yeah I think I'd probably bounce that question to to Nicholas like have you um you know have you seen or yourself like seen artists post works to kind of build up an audience without any intention initially of like selling or minting that artwork yeah it really depends on the artist I mean I've onboarded a lot of people last year um a little less this year and very quickly when i start discussing with people i tell them to set very very low expectations and to also like consider a, a certain number of questions like the first one is like why do you want to enter the space what are the what are the real reasons that drive you because 90 percent of the time people want to enter the space to make money which is perfectly fine and it's perfectly legitimate but uh, if this is going to become part of your practice 
you need more than that probably to uh, be successful and make it like a sustainable aspect of your practice. So one angle to approach it and something I talk about again with like people when I onboard them is more like how, how do NFTs fit your practice rather than like how can you make your practice fit NFTs because a lot of artists approach uh, the ecosystem thinking like, oh, like what kind of work can I make that will be like, that will be like sellable as an NFT. And it's like, well, like maybe you can make like one or two works like that that are gonna be, you know, sellable or like that you can adapt your practice. But over the long term, that that doesn't that doesn't seem sustainable. It's more like how, you know, how can you implement that aspect into your practice? like in a more or less fluid way. And then it becomes part of your everyday practice. And maybe it, it becomes part of your practice in a very small way. Maybe it, can, maybe it becomes part of your practice in like a very major way. But um, yeah, it really, it really depends on the, on the person and how, you know, how much time they're willing to invest because it's very time consuming. Um, there's a couple issues that always come in the way of onboarding artists. Like the first one is discoverability. And, and, and the second one is just like the social aspect of NFTs. Uh, and they're kind of very, very closely connected. Um, there's a lot of noise when you go on like any NFT marketplace. So like to get your work seen is like, as Sam said, it's like, it's very hard. And I think one of the answers to that is the social aspect is more like, do you have any friends who are into that space? And if yes, they can be your entry points. But then if you want to make this whole experience even worthwhile for yourself, it's important to kind of connect with people in that space because they're going to be able to, you know, answer some questions. They're going to be like here to like discuss with you of like a variety of topics relating to NFTs. They're going to you know, send you links on like different platforms, different artists, etc. So it, it becomes kind of a community, you know, like when you, I think when you work in music or when you work in arts uh, and maybe when you, when you work as an engineer as well, you, you become part of certain communities, right? With who like you exchange with peers, you kind of like go to like social events or you, you, you become part of like these little like ecosystems or these little bubbles. And I think for NFTs, that's very, very uh, strong because we all live in different places in the world. We all connect through a computer. So like Twitter becomes like a very, very important um, aspect of, um, you know, like discovering new artists or like talking to other artists, connecting with other artists. And you need to kind of spend that time. So a lot of the onboarding that I do, it happens in several stages. We, we have like a first meeting where I just like, lay it all on them and then if they come back for a second meeting then it's like okay you're probably gonna you're you're probably gonna gonna make it work somehow and and yeah and it's very surprising because sometimes I, i've onboarded people where i was like oh my god like their work is so amazing it's perfect for nfts and you realize that the person doesn't really uh doesn't really enjoy it and doesn't really connect and doesn't want to doesn't want to spend that time you know like digging around on like social media or on like NFT platforms or like connecting with people. And sometimes I onboard someone who I feel like is probably not going to connect with all that. And they actually like dive really deep in it. And as far as like 
the the reactions and like the strategies in terms of sales again it like it really depends on people like some people do it as like a just like an experiment and they put very little very little pressure on themselves very little expectation some others just want to like get like really serious trade away and so they put all these expectations and all this pressure and so yeah depending on like how they approach it i try to kind of uh, have an appropriate response to try and push them in like what I think is like a a, a good direction. But yeah, there's no like there's no easy way to get into it. It's like I think it's um and it's probably one of the one of the obstacles of 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 NFTs in general. It's just like the the learning curve is really steep at first, um, and if you pass that learning curve, then you're in, and then things are a little bit smoother, but uh, you just have to, you have to climb that, that first wall. Yeah, definitely. It's like once, once you get in, you start to talk like us and you're like, I think that was 2021. Seems like a long time ago. I'm really not yeah. sure of anything at this point. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that <laughs> maybe that that's, that's a way that you can, that you can tell that someone's fully in. Um, so wh where we sit now at the end of 22, or whatever um and we've we've touched on the fact that it's not quite as crazy as it was a year or so ago um and you know coming out it's a it, it's almost like back to back to one again about you know uh, finding uh collectors for your work or anything. so from both of your perspectives um where where do you think the kind of space is at right now and what are you excited about with what's happening because you know a, a lot of folks will be talking about uh, oh, the space is down right now. It's all like that. But I feel like there's so much to be excited about um, for, for where things are going in, into the future and things that are happening right now. And I suppose with Sam, you being at like Syndicate um, is one thing. And, and the fact that you both have uh, Gosma happening uh, as well. Sorry, I don't want to answer for you guys, but <laughs> it's kind of, you know, what, where, where do you kind of feel that we are right now? Is this like a healthy uh, correction? Um, a deflation of a hype or a, or a mania, like uh, I'm, th I'm throwing out far too many questions, but yeah. Where, where do you both kind of feel that we are right now and where, you know, what are you excited about and what, what are your kind of feels for what the next year or so might, might look like bold predictions. Yeah, I think, um, so I, I wasn't in attendance at Art Basel this year, but, um, the vibe that I got from people who were, who were there and attended and came back was that it was a lot quieter in some respects um, in terms of, you know, and I, I guess it's like how much do you kind of, how much kind of emphasis do you place on like uh, Basel being like a, a key kind of like uh, weather vane in the ecosystem. But it definitely felt like the people that were coming back this year were kind of saying that it felt more chilled uh there may be less people there less kind of hype um maybe some more established product projects were like in larger attendance there now um so i think that's kind of interesting i think for me overall it is good like i was getting to the point last year where it was just exhausting like to keep up with everything it was you know, if you fell asleep for, you know, you went to bed and woke up in the morning and suddenly like five different massive things had occurred overnight and you suddenly had to like play catch up all day and then you're five hours behind what else is going on. 
Um, so for me, like in a kind of very selfish way to maintain my own like mental health and energy, like it feels good that we're kind of in this this kind of whatever you'd want to call it downturn capitulation like of the market. Um, I think for me, it's quite interesting. The thing that I've noticed is that it was inevitable. I feel like it was inevitable, but like NFTs are obviously now like splitting, right? So you see marketplaces like Blur and OpenSea and Uniswap um, that are very much kind of specializing in the 10K collection, PFP projects, whatever you want to call it. And it's that kind of like trading platform. Whereas I feel like, you know, platforms like Foundation are still very much focused on the art, the one of ones, the kind of like, or the small kind of collections um, being brought out by artists. Um, and I think that's really interesting. I think we're going to start seeing that fragmentation of like what an effort, you know, an NFT is just the underlying technology. It doesn't like mean whatever it is. I think we're going to see that. I think it's really interesting to see kind of like the route that Zora are going down with like Nouns Builder and like using NFTs as like a, you know, as a as an access to a community or kind of voting rights on a community and how that plays out. That I find quite interesting. Um, and then also like, you know, a syndicate itself has its own uh, ERC721M, which is like a modular um, kind of collection um, or modular contract that allows you to kind of extend it. Um, so it's interesting to see how like all these different use cases of 721s are playing out. Um, I think for me, like what we're probably going to see over the next year or during the course of 2023, like I personally don't think we've hit the bottom yet. Like I think we're still like, there's still a little ways to go. I'm not quite sure how long it is, but um, I think there is still a ways to go before we kind of see like the bottom and starts to come up again. Um, I think the things that I'm interested in, I think there's a few different things. I'm interested, obviously, in the technology side of things, like uh, the like zero knowledge proofs and like what they can add to the ecosystem. I actually think like with zero knowledge um, and the kind of uh, changes or pr proposals that are coming to like uh, Ethereum in terms of like ZKs and uh, account abstraction, like we could see some really interesting experiments. Um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think like with, with those kind of like things playing out, we're going to see some interesting kind of experimentations from artists and like companies coming out of that space. So that I'm really interested in from the kind of purely uh, kind of technical side of things. Um, from the art side of things, like I do think that we will see, I think we'll start to see like uh, formalization feels like the wrong term, but like some kind of, you know, the super rares, the foundations of the world, like these kind of like pillars of like art, like one of one art are really going to start to like kind of, kind of move away from, you know, OpenSea and Blur and all those kind of platforms even more with like unique tech and unique kind of like you know functionality that's like makes more sense for one of one drops and they're not trying to cater to everyone anymore um so i think that kind of specialization is going to happen a bit more which i'm really interested in seeing how it plays out um but yeah like i mean i'm still very optimistic for the space like i know we're kind of like seeing a lot of bad things happen at the moment with different players kind of like coming in and you know doing damage to the space but 
I still think like if you're paying attention to the underlying tech or you're paying attention to the right communities, like there's still a lot of optimism, a lot of hope there. And like, I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm still here. So I still, and I don't feel like I'm going to be going anytime soon. So um, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I feel the same Stockholm thing for sure. I'm not going anywhere. I've been here for years. Like, where would I even? There's nothing I'm more interested in. So I'm here for for good or or otherwise. Exactly. I strongly yeah, strongly exactly. vibe with that. Um, and and uh, Sam's just touched on a bunch of really interesting stuff happening uh, on from the tech side of things and and all that. Um, and you you hit on something interesting before we kind of ask Nicholas about like what you're kind of excited about. Um, for the future in that is this, uh, you know, the open seas and or more so like blur and some of these new new movers coming in and saying, okay, no royalties, like NFT, like royalties are not uh, enshrined in the smart contracts themselves. Um, so we're just going to kind of snip that bit off, which has kind of been a core tenant or part of the narrative of artists and creatives uh, in relation to NFTs is that it's you know it's all done in code um and you'll you know you'll get a 10 percent or whatever percent royalty on all resales of your work off into the future and it creates quite a healthy dynamic between collectors and artists uh themselves that the artists can continue to benefit if they become a, a, a massive success over over the coming years um so this you know has been quite a quite a thing over the last couple of months uh in the space this this notion that well, I guess it's this split that you're alluding to between the the artists themselves and then the the folks that are in the space as like traders, basically um, the the trading approach to stuff. So I guess like what, um, yeah, what, what are your opinions about this apparent split? What should marketplaces uh, be doing in relation to this? Is this feeling of like, well, if it can be done. If we can set it to zero percent royalty now, OpenSea is kind of chasing these other marketplaces of like, okay, we'll also do zero percent royalty or or whatever. Uh, it feels like a bit of a race to the bottom in that direction. But then maybe the the foundations, the super rares, the the Zoras or whatever can build in the opposite direction, and artists can choose to mint in a in an environment that is you know still uh, giving of from from my opinion is completely you know. Uh, you know, royalties should should be enshrined for artists. It's a it's a no brainer. It's like an art industry doesn't function in a world in which the artist just gets cut out of the benefit of their own work. That's where I'm coming from. Yeah, I'm I'm very much in the same camp. Like, to me, I've always been like a proponent of artist royalties and like paying them what you know what they set on a piece when they when they sell a works. And I've always said like you know, whatever the larger ecosystem does and however it responds to this, like, I think I personally am always going to pay them, you know, whatever royalty it is, whether it's a manual process of just like figuring it out on my own and sending them the ETH or whatever it might be. Um, just because, yeah, like to me, that was that was one of the big sells of this entire space, right? And I think, I think it's tricky though, because... Well, it's hard in some cases because I think a lot of artists, when they first came into the platform, it was one of the big selling points, right? It's like, hey, like you can't, you know, artists or royalties are baked into the ecosystem, which, you know, was more of a kind of social promise than more than a codified thing, right? It's like, 
you know, and that's what we're we're discovering now, or what artists are discovering now is like actually it's not codified into like the smart contract itself. It's codified into the centralized databases of these companies who said that they were going to do it from the beginning, um, which can change as we've seen. Um, I think, yeah, this kind of race to the bottom for traders, and I think that's what it is. It's like it's always going to be really hard because I know a lot of people would argue that well, the traders are flipping PFP projects. They're not looking at it like art. They're looking at it as like a tradable, uh, you know, a tradable kind of like object. Um, and those companies have gone off and raised external VC funding, right? Like the proofs of the world, uh, you know, whoever it is. But then I still think that, you know, those projects were maybe not proof or like, you know, I know they went, they've, they've been set up by some very, you know, established kind of like founders but the smaller project or the you know the newer projects like the dead fellas and um you know these other kind of pfps like to me like just because they are now successful doesn't mean that you can then kind of like slice uh like any kind of like recurring revenue that comes back to them just because oh well they're doing well now so we don't have to give them any money um i just yeah i to me it just doesn't feel right I think it's not being helped by the open seas of the world and like these other kind of exchanges that are kind of being to me like pretty hostile about it. Like it, it looks like the way that OpenSea, um, you know, the way that OpenSea is doing it now is basically saying like, you, if you want royalties on our platform going forward, then you have to add this code into your smart contract that basically disallows you from uh, selling or trading on any of our competitors that we deem like not good for the ecosystem but it's like what does that actually mean like it's it's you know it could be anything so to me like that is just like a, has been like a pretty outright hostile move and it moved extremely quickly um in the sense that it was you know it was kind of launched on people and they had a week to decide what they were going to do and like the way that they uh kind of gave this code out was like largely untested and they didn't really explain what the functionality was doing and like and yeah to me it was just like it you know i understand these uh, these are companies that need to do things and there are competitors in the space who are coming after them and it is a race to the bottom but then it's like if you can decide if you can choose to not pay royalties then i should be able to choose not to pay your fee from like trading right like it it's a really like the like you know simplistic view of it but it's like you know if you're taking that choice away from me then like why can't i choose to not pay you and like it's a choice and like good people will choose to pay the fee and the royalty and it's just like it doesn't it that's what annoys me the most is like it's just a real like smash and grab on the entire ecosystem so i'm for royalties i would like the marketplaces or you know the foundations the zoras the kind of the players out there that really you know are building these new worlds to to come up with like good established ways that like royalties get paid irregardless um i know it can never be in the erc 721 spec but like i would like there to be some kind of like research into like the other options that are available Absolutely. And, and, and Nicholas, like, what's your kind of take on this, uh, philosophically, 
and also pragmatically, you know, uh, how how in the loop have you been with this sort of uh, debate going on over the last uh, couple of months? What's your kind of uh, view on what Sam's talking about here? Right. Well, I, I, I agree with, with Sam on like pretty much everything. And um, I also think that like what is happening right now in general, in terms of like the market trends and how slow it is, um, I see it as a good thing uh, because as Sam was saying, like last year was, um, it, it was completely unrealistic to think that things would stay like last year. I think like 2021 was uh, like, I don't know, like mass hysteria and then like, we had to like come down from it. And I find myself um, much more at peace now working. And I, I, I find myself with much more perspective on things now because there's time to breathe. There's time to think about projects. There's time to like conceive things. Uh, and, and the people who are still active in the space, I find, or are coming to the space now are coming for the right reasons and are excited for the right reasons. Um, so as far as like royalties go, I mean, it's obviously it's obviously super disappointing to see like what OpenSea and like a lot of other marketplaces are doing. And it's it's definitely a race to the bottom. And part of me thinks, well, let them let them race to the bottom, because once they hit the bottom, maybe like things will go back up. And another another train of thought is kind of going back to like what Sam was saying in the sense that like when we talk about NFTs, we talk about a lot of different communities. Um, some people are here uh, to trade PFPs and collectibles. Some people are here for the art. Some people are here for both. Some people are here for like the technology and like um, fundraising and activism. And we're starting to see this fragmentation uh, becoming more and more parents. And, you know, like the things I'm excited about personally is to see artists and people who care about art. Um, size the means of productions and create their own marketplaces and create their own tools uh, to you know serve their own communities because at the end of the day um i don't think it's realistic to like for for myself at least to like place too many hopes on platforms like OpenSea, for example because uh they never really they never really had like a very strong inclination for art to begin with like art is often used as a, like a marketing term in NFTs. But when you start looking at things, you realize that usually it's just like a vessel for promotion and marketing. And it's not really like, there's no, there's no beliefs or care for art behind it. So what's, what's exciting now is that you can sort of like see through all that, see through all that landscape a bit more clearly. You can see who are the, you know, who are the players that are actually like really like interested in art and want to like work with artists. Uh, despite the market trend, and and it becomes more it becomes more apparent and it becomes more easy to read because last year it was just like this craziness and everybody was, you know, making sales. So like you you would work with like different platforms, but you didn't really know like what these platforms were really about. And now it, it's becoming a little more, you know, it's like when when things go south, like you kind of start seeing like what what people are made of really, and so it. it I feel like it's sort of um, it's sort of good in that sense um, because you you can kind of identify platforms. But there's there's lots of initiatives right now that I'm excited about. I mean, like there's you know like collectives like Refraction DAO who are like working with artists and doing amazing projects, and uh, they've been 
uh, they've been doing an exhibition at Miami Art Basel right now, who was like probably were like the best one uh, in Miami or among the best one. They've done something for NFT New York last year, who was also like incredible. Um, and I see a lot of I see a lot of initiatives like that, like smaller structures um, who are like focusing on artists, who are focusing on creating exhibition, who are focusing on the technology um, in in a, a meaningful way. And again, 2021, I think was like, for me, it was like this moment of like, everything felt like a novelty. And there was this sort of, um, this is a sort of like hysteria or like, feeling of bliss and excitement and enthusiasm for everything and now we're kind of like coming down from that and looking at things a bit more carefully and trying to put more meaning into it uh, and trying to put more purpose and intention into it not that like everything that was done last year wasn't like meaningful and purposeful like quite the opposite but it just felt so exhilarating that it was hard to really sort of you know filter through everything uh and now, yeah, I mean, now is like the time to build and like to to find like like midterm and long term purpose and everything. So I I actually I feel like much more serene this year than I felt last year as well, uh, just because now I have time to like think about working on physical exhibition. Now I can like pace myself. I don't need to like release NFTs like every week or every other week, and I can try and think about more like you know after like. 18 months in the space like how do i how do like what are the big next move moving forward like how do i how do i want to reorient my practice if it needs to be reoriented and it feels much easier to do that now than last year so i i'm actually like i'm actually like fairly optimistic but i i definitely see a divide and a fragmentation that is going to happen and um you know, some people will stick to their communities. Some people will be in between different communities. Um, and I find that quite hard to predict because I'm sure there's lots of people right now who are building like incredible uh, platforms and, and, and you know, tools that I'm not aware of, that not a lot of people are aware of and that are going to change the, the, the landscape of the space in the coming months. So we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, definitely an, an environment, um, not for the faint of heart and an environment of constant change and surprises, uh, many of them uh, positive <laughs> uh, and endless novelty. It's a big part of like why I will never leave. Um, so, yeah, uh, Nicholas, I've just seen like on your on your Twitter in the last couple of days and, and stuff, you were sharing like images from Art Basel and like like massive physical installations and and stuff like that uh you were showing your own work as well um love to ask about yeah what that what experience was like and uh you know what other artists were involved like what yeah what did you experience what other things that did you uh were you excited to kind of see there and you know how how did it feel like uh, your your work being like shown in some of those exhibitions because it looked looked amazing even on a highly um squashed image being posted on twitter looks really cool right thank you um well i i showed some works at art basel through refraction dao uh, and that was great it was like a big group exhibition uh, and uh, the exhibition design was fantastic i wasn't there unfortunately i didn't get a chance to go so i just had to 
look through my Twitter feed <laughs> through the photos and videos to kind of enjoy it. Uh, but then I uh, worked on like a smaller event here in Montreal with a few artists who are very active in the Tezos community. And we um, sort of sort of like quote unquote created a selection of artworks from our Tezos collection and we showed them in a, in an artist run space here. Um, and that was really exciting. And that's that's the part that makes me feel, you know, quite optimistic is the fact that these sort of events can happen uh, fairly easily where like the community gets together and um, shows, um, you know, the, the, the richness of, of, of the art that is being created on through, uh, through this ecosystem. Uh, and that happened Saturday, uh, two days ago. That was like really, really exciting. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it's, you know, it, it's kind of, it's kind of nice because it goes back to what I used to do a lot more before NFTs, which is, uh, working on physical events and, uh, creating a space for people to meet in person. And when uh, when you deal with NFTs and Web3, uh, this sort of event feel very, very meaningful because all of a sudden you get to meet these people that you've been talking for like a year or two years. And there's like, there's so much excitement around it, uh, in particular in the arts community and in particular in the Tizzles community, because it's such a, um, it's such a unique community in the sense that like most artists are also collectors because the price points of artworks are very low. Uh, so there is a, there is this sort of a horizontality between like artists and collectors that is like really, really interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this kind of events are going to happen more and more now, uh, whether it's on, you know, connect to like the Tizos community or like the Ethereum community. And um, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to uh, this year and next year. Yeah. So obviously that was like some cross wires on my part, like seeing that uh, exhibition that was uh, not <laughs> oh, like what, what I saw on your, on your Twitter and stuff. Oh, right. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I just saw you in a space and like put the wrong dots together. Um, but yeah, like before, before we jump from this episode, uh, I'd love to touch on maybe this is a good way for us to like ride out into the sunset. Um, talking about what are your plans for, for Gossama? First of all, am I pronouncing that right? Could someone correct me before I ask this question? I don't know if there's a right way. How, how do you, what's the right pronunciation for Gossamer? Um, I don't even know. I don't know. I, I say Gossamer, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's like, if there's a better way, but yeah. Well, you're the creators of it, so happily lean into that. Yeah, I feel like I feel like the word is like used a lot. I mean, I'll say gossamer, but I know Nicholas, you sometimes pronounce it differently, don't you? In another way. Well, I pronounce it differently because I'm I'm French, so then like French. I yeah. like mispronounce <laughs> I mispronounce a lot of words in English. Uh, but it's funny because we we've talked about like we've talked so much with sam and tim about gossamer but like we usually just talk through text mm -hmm. so of course we've actually like never really got to like i never really get to hear them say the word gossamer like uh through voice so i don't i don't really know what's the right pronunciation that's that's pretty funny let's just say that all pronunciations are the right pronunciation and it's fine. exactly it's an open exactly. an open pronunciation 
So yeah, what what are your plans for the project going forward? What are you excited about? How did you where did the name come from? I suppose, but uh, yeah, because when when you were talking a second ago, Nicholas, about um, you know, like different like groups or collectives coming together and doing stuff together, Refraction is a good example uh, among among a bunch of of cool things that are happening. But uh, for for your own little collective project here, like what are you excited about building out? Is it potentially about more than simply collecting works? as a group and stuff like that. Um, and I guess I would tag on as well. Like, uh, what are some, maybe we could pull out a few artists that you've been collecting or watching that you're excited about, uh, as a group, we could shout, shout them out as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think like to me, first and foremost, Gossamer is like, um, it's sort of like a, a group of friends and it's like people who I want to exchange with on like a daily or weekly basis. Like we talk very frequently with Sam and Tim and Fields, who's like the latest, the latest addition to the to the collective. Uh, it's been, you know, one thing that's really hard with NFTs is discoverability. And so um, with the four of us constantly, you know, looking at Twitter and looking at different NFT platforms and looking at the news, it's kind of like a way for us to exchange on like a very regular basis on like what we've seen and what we think is interesting and what we're what we're excited about at the moment, whether it's art or whether it's something else. Um, I think the 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 way the collective started um, was very very spontaneous with no like big plans ahead, but that also means that like anything is possible, um, and that's what I find exciting. So we've talked about. A lot of different projects and exciting initiatives, but I don't know if we're going to make any any of them public yet because um, none of them is really, uh, you know, fully like activated. Um, but to me, what's exciting is the fact that like we can keep collecting works that we love and that we can keep. I, I think a lot of a lot of DAOs that collect online um, do it, you know sometimes like in a fairly strategic way or like in a fairly sort of like selective way, like a speculative way. Um, what I like about Gosamer is that we sort of have like a kind of like an identity visually that really kind of fits our respective tastes. And that's really the sort of like the criteria when we collect works. We collect works that we're excited about. Um, and we want to support these artists, whether you know they stop making NFTs tomorrow or like they have like a crazy career. Um, and that's something that I feel very strongly sort of like connected to in terms of ethos and in terms of like collecting habits because um, because I think a lot of exciting work uh, is being put out there and um, and these artists need like collectors who, you know, are willing to just like take a risk and collect their work and support them and give them that little boost of validation to like push them to like create more and, and, and make more work. And um, yeah, and I hope there will be, you know, I hope we see more more collectives like the summer and I'm sure there's a bunch of them out there uh, that we don't know of, but 
yeah, that's what I'm excited about in a nutshell. I think it's just like to keep collecting like that to, you know, any any project in the future that would happen with Sam and Tim, I would be excited to do. Uh, so we'll just have to wait and see if if any of them is going to is going to happen sooner or later. But yeah, I don't know. How about you, Sam? Yeah, I feel feel very similarly. Like to me, the one thing that I like about the one thing I love about Gossamer was almost the the fact that there is, you know, we don't put any pressure on either ourselves or each other. And I think that was a bit of a kind of um, a bit of a balm during the last bull cycle because it was so crazy in every every other dimension of the space. Having this like group that we could like go to and just chat about art and if we're interested in buying it then we could take it further than it it just it like relieved it was like yeah like a release valve for all the pressure that was like building up in the space it was like okay I'm buying this because me and a group of others like-minded people enjoy it as well and want to support the artists not some like can we flip it is it going to get bigger like the it was like quite pure intentions like we don't you know I don't think we have any plans on selling any of our pieces for the foreseeable future. Um, and it's, yeah, it's like purely an act of kind of collecting um, and kind of curating, I guess, our own little world uh, inside of this space. Um, and yeah, I mean, it it was, you know, it started off as just the three of us, myself, Nicholas and Tim. Um, but recently we bought in um, Fields, who's a really great artist unto themselves. Um, I'd highly uh, recommend you kind of checking them out. Like I, I love their work. Um, and that is again, why we, we bought them in. Like we all like their work. We bought their Genesis piece on Ethereum. Uh, we speak to Fields both individually, like all of us have spoken to them um, over you know the last year and a bit um since they came into the space and it just kind of felt right when you know we're when we're like shall we just bring them in like this is another like-minded person who buys uh you know who wants to buy art in the same way so yeah feels is the latest member um but yeah as for like projects like yeah exactly i echo Nicholas's statements like I would gladly jump at the chance to get to work with any of the members of Gossamer either individually or as a group um but you know in the same regard I think we hold each other and ourselves to like quite high standards and I don't think we'd do anything that was like half thought out like if we did it we'd want to be all in on it so I think uh, and we're all very busy people <laughs> we all have jobs and lives and stuff like that so I think it's like finding the time for that we will not want to put too much pressure on uh each other and ourselves so yeah i mean other artists that like i'm a big fan of and actually like some of these artists we don't have any pieces of like i'm obviously a massive fan of all of the the artists that we've collected um but i think like i'm a fan of like varquito uh, garcia um has just put out like a small collection like love their work um I'm a big fan of Oroku, um, I believe that's how you pronounce it, um, which has like a very uh, kind of ethereal. And then also another one, which again, I'm waiting to get a piece for is uh, M. Suksu, has these like kind of gradients with these cute little eyes um, that like are on all their things. They're like, yeah, Miguel Cruz is uh, the artist's actual name. 
Uh, but yeah, you can find them on, I think, Foundation under uh, M, Suk, M underscore Suksu, S-U-K-S-U. But yeah, I love their work as well. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. Um, so yeah, that's that's my kind of like, uh, my kind of picks at the moment. But I'm very much into kind of hypercolor kind of pop things at the moment. Uh, yeah. Because it's so dark here in the UK or and it's pretty miserable, I need to like get color into my eyes uh, from any other source I can. I th- I think this like this window into uh, Gossama, however pronounced, um, is so cool because like this to me uh, is a representation of kind of like future internet spaces or ways that we can kind of engage with this stuff collectively and with friends. When you talk about how nice it is to sort of have like a group chat with just a few mates that you can go and chat about art with and then go ahead and and collect that art together via the kind of, you know, smart contract kind of stuff in in the back end is really exciting. And we're only going to see more of that. And I feel like this is something at the edges that a lot of folks aren't having wrapped their heads around yet, or they're not even aware of that use case as yet. But I think it's a really exciting way to kind of organize collectively and and do stuff together. Um, And rather than being like, you know, washed out in huge discords with many thousands of people and you it's 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 difficult to interface with that and maybe we can touch on that really quickly sam like through something like syndicate how how folks can spin up things like this for themselves like what would be the kind of like explain like i'm five for for syndicate and and what this kind of what this is what it what it means yeah so i mean syndicate has like a few different um kind of offerings at the moment um but the original one that came out um when they started was this idea of like an investment club um so an investment club is actually like a it's like a web to uh kind of capital vehicle that was created in the traditional kind of like us investment kind of like uh legal world um and it was basically a way for people to kind of come together as a group and invest in you know stock and stuff like that that might otherwise be out of reach um and so syndicate's original kind of this web3 offering was to basically do that as a DAO. um so you could uh create an investment club you could invite your friends to say like cool like you know the quote unquote entrance fee is x amount like you've got to put into this um that gets you inside of the club and then we will you know, pull those funds together like a DAO would, and then we can like we can invest in whatever, you know, whatever things we want, both on chain and off chain. Um, and there's also the option to kind of create a in an IRL Web two version of that investment club as well. Like we work with um, like legal teams to kind of spin those up as well for you if that's something that you'd be interested in doing. Um, and then the second kind of like biggest thing was like the ERC 721M, which was, uh, and this concept of a collective. So a collective is basically allows you to um, kind of like these community social network primitives that we're kind of like building out. And the thing that powers those is this 721M um, contract and collection of modules. Um, so you can spin up a collective that allows you to um you know issue 
NFTs to gain entrance to this collective, um, then you can obviously kind of like, you can also have these kind of custom claiming parameters as well, if you will. So it'd be like, oh, you've got to own an NFT or a token or a certain amount of this. You can obviously set a price on it if you want to sell it. Um, and so, yeah, those things kind of, you can then integrate them with a whole bunch of other different things, right? Like snapshot, token gating, like, you know, connect it with um, Shopify, whatever you might want to do. And then also you can um, create a investment club that uses those collective NFTs as like the entrance path. So it's like, cool, you can join this investment club if you have an NFT from this collective. So kind of like this idea that they can kind of compose together um and i think yeah syndicate is really all about kind of building out these modular features and products that can be used in themselves but when combined together they're like you know really powerful um and we're kind of we want developers to obviously build on top of them and people to come and use it um as such but um yeah, the ERC721's um, M contract is being used by Nike's new campaign, the dot swoosh um, kind of 721 uh, thing that they're doing. So that's, yeah, that's kind of like one example of other companies coming to use these, um, these protocols that we've built out. Thank you to Sam and Nicholas for coming on UFO. You can find Sam on Twitter at S-A-M-M-D-E-C and at Nicholas Sassoon. Links to their projects and art pieces are in the show notes at ufo.mira.xyz. Thanks to our sponsors who made this episode possible. To get started with Zerion and create your new crypto wallet, head to zerion.io. To join the Lens ecosystem and explore the future of Web3 social, be active around UFO, engage with us on Twitter. Subscribe and collect our NFTs at ufoclub.com. Dot lens. This is Nick Collins signing off from UFO.